episode 57 with Carrie Kasem. And you might recognize the last name. Carrie is the daughter of the late, great Casey Kasem, the nationally syndicated, real famous radio host back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, probably into the early 2000s. Casey Kasem's voice was undoubtedly uh, unique and extremely recognizable. And uh, the later portion of his life, he became very ill and sick. And his caregiver, his wife, his the person that was in, in responsible for him, power of attorney and all those things, uh, made things difficult on Carrie and <clears throat> her family to uh, be able to see Casey, their father. And Carrie ever since has made it her mission to get the laws in this this entire country changed in terms of elder abuse. Um, and she's working hard in not only the state of California, but all over the country to see that elder abuse is taken seriously and to see uh, reform within the system. So uh, she shed light into all that, her, her upbringing, her family, her background, and I uh, really appreciated Carrie's time. Check her out on social media. We'll link up all the links here. So Check her out, and uh, if you know anyone that can be affected or that's been affected or that can be helped by this episode, please, please share it. Uh, with that said, let me turn it over to the one and only Carrie Kasem. The Optimal Life. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Yes, of course. How's, of life, course. how's life treating you out in uh, California these days? I, life is really good. The only thing that's not good is my 20-year-old cat is not doing so well. So I'm here with him, just sitting with him. But, you know, everything else in life is, is good. Just just uh, worried about my kitty. That's it. That's the only thing that's not so good. 20 years? That's a long time, huh? Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. How long do cats typically live till? Well, if you're, like, feeding them dry food and putting them on friskies and, like, the worst thing you can do is stick a cat on dry food. Um and uh, feed them crap, they'll live, I don't know, like 12 years maybe, maybe 15. If you feed them wet food and, you know, keep their kidneys and liver healthy, they can live 20, 25 years. I've known some cats will live 30, but it just wow. depends on their diet. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's pray for uh, your cat to live, you know, another five years, God willing. That'd be great. Hopefully. That'd be uh, so you're out in Los Angeles. I came across yes. you on social media, on Instagram, and uh, was very intrigued. I, I'm actually an attorney um, by education. I've never practiced. Oh. I've never practiced. Uh, I'm in defense contracting business, completely different. Uh, used to be in the sports agency world, actually, after law school. Uh, was representing NFL players for a few years and then went into a fa oh, wow. family business. So I've kind of done a few different, you know, diverse things. Uh, but I came across your your uh, page, and then I started looking into it. Obviously, I knew who your father was, um, and was interested in this in this whole discussion on on elder abuse. So, if you could, um, let's let's go back a little bit, if you could, to the early days. I mean, what tell tell us what life was like first and foremost growing up with uh, Casey Kasem as your father. Well, you know, it's funny because I get that question asked, you know, a lot. Um, <clears throat> Not until I got older did I realize, like, oh, that's a big deal, you know, dad's, dad's famous, you know, but he always, our house was, wasn't filled with parties, it wasn't filled with famous people, it was, you know, up until, you know, he, he divorced my mom and then got um, married to 
the wife he had for a while, he was very just low key. And it was all about being a parent and education and teaching manners. And he was a just a very wonderful hands-on dad. And growing up in you know Los Angeles, and especially at that point in my life, I spent 13 years of my life in Beverly Hills, there were a lot of kids that had famous parents. There were a lot of kids that had rich parents. Like it wasn't a big deal. Right. You know? Right. And then when you get older, you realize, oh my gosh, I went to school with that kid and that kid's parents were so and so and wow and you, you, but when you're a kid you don't care. It's not a big deal. And you know, I, I spent many, many, many years in Tom Petty's house growing up with Tom and Jane and Adria and Kim. And Adria was a dear friend of mine for many, many years, and that's uh, Tom's daughter. And so, I mean, the first guitar I played, you know, was Tom Petty's guitar, and how I learned to play was on his guitar. And we, we were down in his studio playing the pianos and the drums and whatever, you know, he had down there. And I, I it wasn't, I was like, okay, cool. Just you another know, this day. Is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the traveling Woolberries were there, and I got to meet them all. And to me, they were just like old guys. I'm like, oh, no. You know, <laughs> you wake up one day and go, oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, but my. Well, you know, let me just say real quick, real quick, because uh, this is obviously pre social media, way, way, way pre social media. And uh, your father was really well known for. He was recognized more so by his voice than anything, right? Right. So right. back then, it wasn't so much about TV. So I wonder, like, were you guys recognizable growing up, or it really wasn't like that? No, my, you know, my dad was so, mm-hmm. especially when he had the TV show America's Top Ten. So you know, after that came out, it was. Everywhere we go, there were people coming up to him and asking for a picture or an autograph. I mean, it was, there was a time it's like, we, we just, anywhere public, he, you know, people were coming up to him. He was the most recognized voice in the world and the first guy to ever play videos on TV before MTV, you know? So it was like, he... His voice, I got to tell you, was just one of a kind. I've never heard a voice like that. I've never heard a voice like that. I was a little kid too, listening to that America's Top 40. Yeah. So yeah, he, he it was it, it was like that for a while, and, and um, I remember people coming up to his house and trying to give him long distance dedications, and you know uh, he would come out and he would talk to them, and he loved people. He's very interested in people and their stories, and he was. I mean, we would go to radio conventions, and we wouldn't get out of there for hours. We would try and leave, and it would take a few hours to get out of there. Because he would stop and talk to every single person that wanted to talk to him, or tell them their story, or share why they got into radio, or listening to you know America's Top Forty on Sunday, and you know there were there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of stories, and he would sit and listen to all of them. Oh, that's beautiful. So so life was, I, I guess, as you were going through childhood, it didn't really phase you. It wasn't like a crazy life where where the there's paparazzi and people all over you. But as you got older, it sounds like it became a little bit more and more over time. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. When we got older, there was, you know, there were paparazzi and there were, you know, but it wasn't crazy. It seems like it just got yeah. crazy. And could you imagine, could you imagine like media. today what he would see, what he would think seeing this today? No, I think he, <laughs> he didn't really even use computers. So <laughs> this would be... Yeah, this would be pretty yeah. wild for him. He'd be like, "Wait a second, everybody's now a radio broadcast host. What's going on yeah, here?" Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. But um, he, you know, he'd probably find it um, 
he always thought there was room at the top for everyone. He's like, never step on anybody coming up. There's room at the top for all of us. He would always say that. That was one of his quotes. Oh, that's great. So, so, yeah. uh, so you guys grew up relatively normal, um, out in Los Angeles, surrounded by a lot of high visible people. Um, as you got older, uh, you, your parents ultimately got divorced. How old were you at that age? Seven. Oh, you were seven, seven. when they got divorced. Yeah. Okay. So you were young. Yeah. 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 So, uh, they got divorced and just talk about like your relationship with him over the years as you went into your late teens and into your, you know, into your adulthood. How, what were your, what was your relationship like with, with Casey? Um, you know, he was, he was everything I wanted to be. He, he was my hero. And he, I mean, one of the things he always did was he was a vegetarian vegan before anybody knew what that word was. Like he was, I mean, he never forced it on us. He never told us to eat that way, but he just ate that way. He just, that was, that was his thing. And he would always teach by example. Mm-hmm. Always. So he never said, well, you need to eat this way. And this was like, well, dad, why, why aren't you eating, you know, the meat? Why aren't you eating? Well, I just don't think, you know, it's good to eat animals and I don't think it's good for you. And I mean, he would just explain it, but he would never say you should do this. You should do that. He just lived by example. And and that was, you know, everything was by example. He would tell stories and anecdotes to get us to understand things. Um, you know, he was just, he was a hands-on dad. Even after the divorce, my father was, you know, the guy who raised me. He's the guy who gave me manners. He's the guy who was, you know, the disciplinarian. So, you know, I am who I am today because of my dad, not saying that my mom wasn't amazing. She was the fun, wonderful mom and very loving and very sweet and the vacation, you know, mom. And we, we had a lot of fun with my mom, but my dad was the one that was, you know, if this is who you want to be when you grow up, you need to do this, 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 and this, you know, and education is very important. So it was a, you know, we got two wonderful parents. Oh, that's fantastic. So what did you end up, where'd you go to, did you go off to college and where'd you go? I did, I did two years of, um, at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts for an AA and then I was like, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I did go to radio school. I did go to radio school for a year and I learned how to work a board and, um, make commercials and, and, you know, uh, it was all analog at that time. It wasn't digital. So a year after I graduated radio school, everything went digital. So here I am. Um, you know, with, with <laughs> this archaic equipment, but, uh, yeah, so I, I learned all that. I started from the ground up. I was, you know, in radio, I started, you know, doing internships and gophering for my dad's show and then internships for different shows around Los Angeles. And I just really learned from, you know, the, the, the basics, the fundamentals, the beginning. And I didn't expect anybody to just give me a job and nobody is going to just give you a job in radio. You're not good nobody's going to stick you on their station so their ratings can drop. It's that, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of last name you have or, you know, it might get me in the door and it did, but you have to be good. And sometimes you have to be better than good. Did you feel a lot of pressure since your dad was who he was in that regard? No, no. Funny. I never, I never did. No. I never did. That's, no, because then I also, I wasn't playing music. I wasn't somebody who was like the DJ. I mm. wanted to be in talk radio. Talk radio was my thing. I wanted to give my opinion. You know, I wanted to argue with people. I loved that. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, 
what I wanted. To when I first saw you, I thought you were an attorney based upon the the causes. <laughs> you know, I saw People you down at like that. a courthouse. I was like, damn, she looks like she's ready to go into court and go go crazy today. I get that all the time, especially <laughs> because for the last five years, I can, you know, talk the talk, walk the, the walk, and I'm there, I'm in a suit, and people always think I'm the attorney, mm -hmm. but I'm not, I'm the one going, you can do this, you know, to my attorneys, do this, what are you doing, you gotta say this, <laughs> he's probably like, shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not easy staying quiet in a courtroom, especially, right? When you're no, especially back. when you see injustice being done and lies being told, because in in you know my field in in, in the elder abuse and, and this is like this, with, and I'm probably in a lot of situations in different courts, not necessarily probate court, but you will have people come in and just lie and vilify the children, vilify the people who uh, love the you know the, their mom or dad or a friend or say, hey, look, they come in. They file a suit because they see that mom and dad are not being taken care of or being isolated. And then you they have these perpetrators come in and just, it's hearsay. Lie, 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 lie. And it's the only court of law that I've seen where hearsay sometimes will actually be admissible. I'm like, is this, are you kidding me? What's going on here? And so I, I just, you know, if I can, if I can support in any way through, you know, me being there physically, um, throwing my weight back there and, and like getting some press for people and even people that don't have famous last names, they don't have any money to fight this, you know, maybe going pro se, you know, by themselves and, and fighting and fighting, um, the fight by themselves. We will protest. We will go outside there. We will create a ruckus. So people go, wait, hold on. What's happening here? So, you know, we, and when I say we, it's the Case and Cares team, which I have an amazing team, um, Kathy Wright Braun, and uh, we have a, we have a woman who who um, works the the grief line, the grief hotline. Uh, her name's Julie Belshi. She went through this. She she had to fight to see her parents because they uh, they were put under fraudulent guardianship. And for people listening, when you are put under a guardianship, you should basically be a vegetable. You are completely incapacitated. Mm -hmm. But in this country, um, people you don't know, um, public guardians, people for profit guardians will put you under a guardianship, strip you of every single right. A dog at that point has more rights than you S sell your house, sell your cars, ignore every, every will and estate plan you've ever made, keep you away from your parents and use your parents as human ATM machines. People don't think this is happening. I see it every single day. Right. Guardianship reform is necessary. My bill, the case and cares visitation bill is necessary because you have these criminals. Yes, they may be lawyers. Yes, they may be, um, you know, just uh, people that maybe, I don't want to say Like lobbyists, lobbyist type or, yeah. Yeah, but, but no, just people who see the loophole in the system become public guardians mm -hmm. and destroy families. I mean, it's. It, it, we could do a whole show on what 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 these people are, are doing to this country. But no, I um, think it's important to shed light onto it. Uh, what you're doing, this is such a a small unknown area of the law. Like it's a real obscure thing, as I'm sure you've learned. Like, wait, wait why is nobody paying attention to this? I'm sure you've been like yeah. 
holy shit, there's so much out there that we can do and change. Nobody's paying attention. No one's doing it's anything. It's very true. Nobody yeah. cares because it's, it's you know, it's like, oh, well, they're old people. Oh, no, they're your mom and dad, and they're you when you get older. And if we don't change the laws in this country when all of us get old, you know, we're going to be shoved in a nursing home, drugged up, over-drugged, and then everything's stolen from us. You know, you don't work your whole life to give money to uh, somebody with the power of attorney, which could be an attorney you don't know well, or to uh, legal guardians, um, either, you know, uh, public guardians that come in and just take advantage of you or, you know, somebody who basically is out to get your money. You don't work your whole life to give it to your attorneys and guardians. You work your whole life. Most of the time you want to give it to your kids, grandkids. Maybe you have, you know, an alma, like a, a charity or your alma mater. You want to give it to things that matter to you. You work your whole life and you have this money. You want to give it to somebody that wants it and that, that you want to give it to. And here we have, and we see every single day will and estate plans being completely ignored and all the money going to attorneys or all the money going to a guardian. Um, I'm working with uh, a woman right now in Washington who who's, um, they gave a power of attorney to a woman who was not well known by the family but was taking care of, like kind of a fiduciary. Mm -hmm. And... The, his will and estate plan said his house and his belongings went to his son. Three days after his, he died, they sold everything. They sold the house. They, there was no due process. They didn't have the son in. They didn't read the will and estate. They just sold everything. Oh. Complete fraud. Complete fraud. The DA's office hung up on her. The police don't take her seriously. Nobody cares. Oh, Nobody geez. cares. It's like, wait a second. Everything this man worked for, yes. everything. Mm -hmm. has been thrown in the trash and now this one woman who decided to steal everything from the family there's no penalties there's no that that's not well it's a civil crime no 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 officer it's not a civil crime this woman stole my house they stole everything you know that was supposed to go to my son this is this is the Deborah who I'm working with and it's her son it's the, it's the ex-wife of this of this man she doesn't get anything but she know her she knows her son was stolen from nothing is being done about it oh that's got to be such a nightmare that's got to be so horrible how, how, how old were you, were you when your father got remarried uh, nine. nine okay so it was right yeah. away and that was the that was his only other wife yes this that is was the his, one that was yeah his only other wife and uh she was um she was very cruel and very abusive and uh it was very hard to watch and uh abusive just, as you were growing up in the household oh yeah she was abusive to us she was abusive to him you know we didn't understand why she hated us so much we had no idea we had no idea why does this woman hate us you know she didn't want us at her wedding she didn't invite us we were not allowed at the wedding um and my dad something my dad regretted um wow how old were you so, so you were nine years old and, and uh you were not at the wedding no but other kids were, and there were other, like, flower, you know, oh, well, kids, I remember, I remember my dad saying, oh, no, you know, there's, there's not going to be kids at the wedding, it's just going to be adult, and they're on the news, other kids doing, being the flower girl, and other kids, you know, it was horrible. It how was did horrible. your, how did your biological mother handle that over the years? That had to be tough. Yeah, it was tough on everybody, even yeah. my dad, you know, who um, had some major regrets, and, and, you know, I, I, I just... We've had 
my father and I had talks about everything. There was nothing I couldn't tell him. I told him everything. He knew how I felt. I knew how he felt. We had, um, you know, when he died, there was not a regret of, oh, I wish I had another day, or I wish I could have told him that. I told him everything, everything. And so, you know, before he got really sick, we had a lot of talks about things, and he knew that uh, his wife, Jean Thompson Kasem, would keep him away from us. He knew that. He, he had a feeling. That's why in 2007, when he was diagnosed with Parkinson's at first, before Louis body dementia, um, he signed over a power of attorney over health, not a state, not money, just over health to my sister, who's a physician's assistant and in end-of-life care, she's in palliative care, and her husband, who is a cardiologist at UCLA. He signed signed the power of attorney over to them, then came me, and then my brother. Mm -hmm. So uh, we also put that on tape. So when the time came to use it, and he was very scared that Gene would find out, very scared. And we promised him that this would never come out until we couldn't see him. So when in 2013, when Gene decided you're never going to see your dad again, and not only us, but all of his friends, all of his, um, you know, co-workers, his brother, his um, cousins, everyone was blocked from seeing my father, everyone. And so um, when it came time to use that, we, we just said, tell them there's a power of attorney. Watch her say, and we told this to our attorneys. Watch her say it's fraudulent. We signed it ourselves. My father would never sign that. I mean, she went as far as saying we were estranged from my father. This is a man we saw every single week and talked to every day on the phone. We had phone records. We had, you know, we had um, pictures. We had his friends over because we were never allowed at his house. The last 15 years, uh, he would come to our house, my sister's house, every weekend without fail. He was always there. Mm -hmm. You know, we could see my dad when we wanted to. Um, and when he got sick, he had somebody drive him. And when he got too sick, you know, somebody was driving him. But, you know, all of a sudden, June of, you know, 2013, you know, he wasn't allowed to see anybody. And he was isolated. And no phone calls were returned. No emails were returned. We could not get to my dad. Oh, and, uh, yeah, so we, we called the police. They could do nothing. We called Adult Protective Services. They could do nothing. People do not realize that once you turn 18 in this country, you have no right to see your parents if there's an uncooperative caretaker and they're in a residential home or an assisted living. You have no rights. It doesn't matter if it was the house you grew up in. It doesn't matter. You know, it's, it is absolutely ludicrous that there are no rights given to adult children and the elderly unless you have the case and cares visitation bill. Now, if you have that bill, you have some legal recourse. But if you don't, you're looking at an entire fight over power of attorney or guardian. And who has, you know, most people don't even have the money for a retainer, let alone an entire fight over a power of attorney, which could cost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, wow. which mine did. I, it cost me $350,000. I won. So the estate had to pay. Gene mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Kasem had to pay. What you is uh, your, your law, the one that you mentioned just before, the carries, what is it called? It's called the Kasem Cares Visitation Law. Okay. And it allows you to ask a judge for visitation without going through an entire fight over power of attorney or guardian. Now, some laws, some some states have better better laws. When you go state to state trying to get a bill in place, each state will chop up your law. Some states have stronger and better laws. Some some have terrible ones, and they'll take they'll take just a part of your bill and, and pass it. 
but um, we're trying to go federally now, make this a crime, uh, because there is a bill that's been in place for almost 30 years called the Residence Bill of Rights. So if your loved one, if you're being stopped from seeing your mom or dad, or anyone for that matter, and they're in a hospital or a nursing home, if they want to see you, nobody, nobody can stop them. But guess what? Hospitals and nursing homes don't know about this bill. This is how I got to see my dad. I interviewed uh, an elder law attorney named Martha Patterson on my law show here in, in Los Angeles. And this was uh, 2013, uh, 2013, 2014, 2014. Mm-hmm. And she had known about us fighting to see my father, you know, for the past, it was at that point, uh, six, six, seven months. She had known that, no, it's more than that. It was about eight months. And the fight that we had and, and the, and the fact that I continued to fight, my brother and sister signed a uh, visitation agreement with uh, my dad's wife, who has never told the truth in her life. She's caused, uh, she's been, she's in, you know, she's litigation constantly, somebody suing her, she's suing somebody, she doesn't hold up her end of the bargain, she always lies, and this is, I mean, it's nonstop, it's in all the court papers, she has lied so much, I mean, it's, She's been impeached over and over and over and over again. It's in every single, every single time we go to court, this woman tells lies that are so easily proven, you know, that it's, it's unbelievable. In fact, we're, we're in court today on a matter and her side of the story is so full of BS and so many lies. She even got the dates wrong where we can go judge. This didn't happen then. This is, here's what happened in court this time. Here's where, here are the emails to prove this didn't happen. It's just, it's egregious. Her behavior is unbelievable. So um, going back to what I was talking about, uh, the, and I think it was just going to court over um, way, bill, way back. The bill, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, the bill, yeah, going yeah. to court and, and having that bill mm-hmm. um, can help you without having this huge fight. What, what's having your progress this, in Ohio? Anything in Ohio? Um, I think we passed the bill in Ohio. Which is where yeah. we are over here. Wait, wait, hold on. Or we're, or we're getting it passed. Hold on. Let me, let me, let <laughs> Take your time. Take your time. <laughs> yeah, we have, uh, you know, I think, no, we, we're, no, no. We, we are still moving it forward. In fact, we have, I've never been to a state that had so many entities working together. So, um, and it's funny, uh, one of my dad's uh, dearest friends is in Ohio and um, has been amazing. Uh, Avery Friedman um, with this bill, Adam Freed. Uh, there's a whole group of people out there mm-hmm. in Ohio. In fact, I want to give them um, a shout out here. Yeah, for sure. Please. Uh, but they've been amazing. Absolutely amazing. Do you know where in Ohio or are they all over the place? They're all in different places, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you. Because um, we're here in Cleveland. Yeah, and I flew into Cleveland this last year and had a meeting with everybody, and it was incredible. I, I mean, we would have these these conference calls, and uh, we we'd have these these conference calls, and everybody was on board. It was amazing. The elder law attorneys, um, the different. Um, governments agencies everybody it was it was just incredible oh that's great i'm so, happy to hear that yeah, yeah that's really so, great yeah do want to patent um 
there was Teresa Cook, uh, just so many people that were that were jumping on board to help with this bill. And I, I just, I, I couldn't be happier. Ohio has been amazing. So we're hoping to get the bill passed uh, this year, this next year in Ohio. For people that have, most of us who have never gone through that with a loved one, especially a parent, um, someone that you had, I mean, that's like, you know, your caregiver all your life, someone that you have probably the closest relationship with, someone that you loved more than practically anybody else you ever met. Uh, give us a little insight, if you could, into that last year, those last six months where you guys couldn't see your father. And what's the feeling like? I mean, how do you handle those feelings for people that are going through it? And, um, and you know, just take us through what those feelings were like and, and how you were able to sleep at night, those kind of things. Um, okay, so when it first started, I thought okay, this is going to be easy to fix. He's my dad, you know, and uh, that's when we, you know, called the police, called Adult Protective Services, and then they could do nothing. I started to get really worried. Uh, that's when we, when we held a protest. I'm in, 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 let's take action steps, action steps, action steps. So I'm like, let's protest. And, and I remember I was driving back from Las Vegas. Um, I actually had a radio show out there and I was working. Um, gosh, what did I do? I went back to do an event, like a charity event. And I, I remember driving back and this hit me. I said, I'm going to do a protest. I'm going to do a protest because this is going to hit, once we file papers in court, this is going to hit the press. And I want everyone to know that it's not just us kids who are being blocked. It's all of his friends, all of his family members. Nobody can see my dad. And it didn't take much convincing because people were really, really worried about him to get you know, about 20, 30 people there mm -hmm. standing in front of his house, most of them in their 80s, you know, a lot of them in their 80s sitting down. And um, some of them had, you know, signs saying, we miss you, Casey. I said, you know, Jean, why won't you let me see my dad? Nothing defamatory, nothing slanderous at all. She calls the cops, you know, seven squad cars, a helicopter. She lies again. Uh, her MO is, this is her. And um, she just said that we were breaking into her house. Now, now, if you know my, my father's house, there's a massive long driveway with a gate. Nobody broke in. Nobody went, you know, to, I mean, it was unbelievable the lies. They saw what we were doing. And after um, they, the interviews on both sides, they said, you can stay here as long as you want. This is public property. Mm -hmm. And didn't kick us off. They realized that she was lying about the break-in. And we had there, a lot of news stations picked it up. So that, I think, is what started the, well, you know, it's not just the kids. It's not just kids. And that helped us through the whole thing. But but not seeing my dad, we got to see him when we finally went to court. We finally went to court. Uh, we got visitation. She gave us visitation where my, she had put my dad in the hospital. There's so much to the story. She had, was always transferring my dad to hospital, to hospital, to hospital, to use as a babysitter so he wasn't at home. So You she think she was doing that to hide him away from you and everyone else? I, I know I know he was. I know she was. And to hide him and to get him out of the house because she had a boyfriend oh, who God. was driving my father's car and living in my and sleeping in my dad's bed. So, uh, yeah, she has this boyfriend, so she's using the hospitals to get him out there. And when you keep somebody in a hospital for very long, they can contract other diseases. And, and, and believe it or not, the hospital will tell you that. Get them in and out of the hospital as soon as possible because this is not the best place for somebody who's sick and elderly. Right, right. 
and that's what did happen. He contracted sepsis. Um, he uh, got very ill in this hospital. And to show the judge in good faith, she allowed us to see our dad for 20 minutes with an armed guard in the room. And we had to go in. We couldn't go in altogether as, as, as brother and sister and, and as a family. We had, and we found out later on why. She thought we were going to bring a, a lawyer in there to try and get my dad to give us his money. That's why we could not go in as a family. I'm getting, I'm getting thought, angry hearing this story. I don't know you guys. Oh, sure. you know, I, I, it's, it's sickening. Um, it's sickening. My dad asked us to stay. He was confused. He didn't know why we couldn't stay longer. He didn't know why we, could, we couldn't all come in together. He, I mean, there's an armed guard standing there writing down everything we were saying. It was, it was oh, disgusting. It was disgusting. And then I remember leaving one time and my dad yells, I love you, Angel. And the nurse said, I heard that. Because we, you know, we were vilified. We were told we were money hungry, that my dad didn't want to see us, that my dad was afraid of us. All these lies. Right, so, right, right. So at this point, you know, my sister, brother, and I were fighting um, for power of attorney, and and we wanted to have uh, some, you know, some way to see our father. And the judge, you know, sent out the court-appointed attorney, sent out, um, you know, uh, PVP attorney, Dr. Dr. Trader went in to talk to my dad to see... Um, if he was mentally able to stand trial, like, and, you know, all this stuff. And every single person that saw my dad, every single one of them said, Casey Kasem wants to see his kids. Not only that, but they want Julie and Jamil, my sister and her husband, to help make medical decisions on his behalf. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all this was reported to Judge Leslie Green. And because there was no law allowing her to just rule on visitation, she turned to both sets of lawyers and said, said, Casey Kasem wants to see his kids. Now go in the hallway and figure it out. That's what she did. So um, there was this awful visitation agreement written up where we could no longer fight for my dad, where we could see my dad once or twice a month with an armed guard in the room. We could not bring a computer. We could not bring our phones. Uh, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't bring friends or family, other family members. And I said, I'm not signing this. My brother and sister did. And I told them to get out of my way. I told my, my fired my other lawyers. I got a lawyer, Troy Martin, um, who had taken on cases like this and gotten visitation. And uh, I asked him, I said, you know, listen, if I can, if I can bring you people, witnesses about how my dad's being treated and the abuse, would you take this case on? I don't have much money left, um, but would you take the case on? And before he even talked to those witnesses, you know, he said, I'll take your case. And four months later, uh, we won it, and I won temporary guardianship over my dad. And I was told by every single person, I was never going to win this. I'd never win a guardianship fight over my dad's wife, who, you know, they've been married 34 years. Mm -hmm. You know, I was told no, 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 no at every single turn. Good for and you. I, yeah, and I wouldn't give up. Good and I thought, you. you know, if I lose my house, if I lose everything, I would work to get that back. But I could never get my dad back. Exactly. And I... I quit my syndicated show with Clear Channel, iHeartRadio. I was on a show with Nikki Six um, from Botley Crew. We had this really popular, very successful syndicated show. We were on all over this country and all over the world. I was making a great salary, and I quit that show because part of that show required me to travel with Motley Crew and the band, and we would do the show before the band went on every night. And I said, okay, well, I'll either keep my dream job and keep this incredible income 
and never see my dad or fight for my dad. And there was no choice at that point. How so, have you, uh, um, how have you managed the anger that you must have experienced throughout this whole process? How, how have you handled that? I do a lot of therapy. I have a lot of therapy and yeah. I, 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 I have to do self-help and some amazing, um, amazing courses that I've taken. And I, you have to work on yourself. It, you can't just let this be bottled up and, and it, it, it will make you sick. It oh, I can't imagine. Sick. Yeah. 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 So going back, I want to fill, I finish this, this, um, when I was not doing my radio show in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. uh, I, um, hadn't seen my dad in a few months and my brother and sister had signed this horrible agreement and I got this new attorney and I'm still fighting and Martha Patterson says you know you can see your dad after the show after I interview her and I'm thinking this woman knows nothing about my case what do you mean I you know that I can I can see my dad you know did you not know what we've been fighting for for the last (laughs) eight months yeah and she said well, your dad is over at Berkeley East Convalescent Center. Now, this was another place she had hidden him. And TMZ actually called our family and said, we gotta, we, we know where your dad is. Wow. And they told us. They found him. Yeah, somebody had called it in. And, we, and we, we found him. And part of the agreement was that my brother and sister were allowed to see him. And she would not let them in. Now, my brother lived in Singapore, but when he'd fly out to see my dad, she would not let my brother and sister in. To see him, and uh, I, I get off the air. She's telling me this. She said, "There's a there's a residence bill of rights." I'm like, "Well, what's that?" She says, "It allows anybody in a nursing home or a hospital to see anybody they want." Here it is, and I heard, you know, she's like, "Your dad wants to see you. Do you know why?" And I said, "Why?" I was in court when Judge Leslie Green told you and the family, you know, and the, the your attorneys. Casey Kasem wants to see his kids. Now go figure it out. Mm -hmm. That is his statement that he wants to see you. We're going to take that transcript in. We're going to take this bill in, and we're going to get you to see your dad. The next day, we walk into the convalescent center. They had no idea about the bill, and they were very happy that we could see my dad. They were so upset that he had had no visitors for three months. In fact, I'll tell you this story. You're not going to believe it. My father had no visitors at all except uh, a caretaker that wasn't even on the, wasn't even being paid anymore. We'll go and see him. And no visitors, including uh, the wife or just everyone the wife else? for the child, no. His, nobody. His, nobody. So except for, for a, a caretaker wow. that had been taking care of him and felt horrible. So we'll go and see him. Right. And, uh, and this is this whole time, you know, it's like we're fighting to see my dad. We're, we would be with him every day. We would take care of him. We wouldn't drop him off and leave him there. And he was getting phenomenal care at Berkeley East Hospital. Phenomenal care. So we walk in. We we get up to um, we get we get there, and they say we didn't know about this bill. You know, of course you can see your dad. It's 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 in the law. It took about a half an hour. They went and talked to their attorneys, everything, and they said, "Wow, you're right. This allows your dad to see you." I, I called my sister. I said, "Julie, get over here. We're going to see dad." You know, we we. Um, I had my, my boyfriend at the time there, um, Martha Patterson was there, the owner of Berkeley East Hospital was there, and the woman who ran Berkeley East Hospital was there, and his two nurses were in his room. We walk in, and he sits up, and he has this massive smile on his face, this surprise, and we just start crying. We all hug each other, and we just, you know, and oh. we're like, Dad, we love you, and, you know, we're here, and we wow. called my brother on Skype, and he got to see my brother in, in 
called his brother on Skype. We let him talk to everybody who hadn't talked to him in, in you know, half a year or more. And Oh God, that had to be one of the was, most emotional moments of your life. Maybe the it month, was, yeah. it was, it was, it was incredible. And the nurses said, we've never seen him so happy and animated. Oh God. There was nothing in his room. He didn't have his glasses on, nothing. He had, there was nothing in his room. It was like just this white room. It was horrible. But the care that he got was phenomenal because when we had seen him at the other hospital, she had hit him in, he didn't look so good. So they had put weight on him. He, his skin color was great. He looked fantastic. He didn't have any infections, bed sores, nothing. Oh, that's so, amazing. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that night after his wife finds out we had a visit with my dad, she uh, goes in at 2.30 in the morning, unplugs his feeding tube and his IVs, and against doctor's orders and nurse's orders, after they begged him not to do this, and they asked her for an ID because they had no idea who she was. They that's pretty no sad. They had no idea who his wife was, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So they made her produce an ID. They said... Um, you know, you can't just take him like this. He needs to be transported by ambulance. We need to have orders of where he's going. You need to have the right medications. You need, She didn't care about any of that. She literally picked him up off his bed, put him in a wheelchair, and wheeled him out and threw him in an SUV that she didn't even get in. This is all on videotape, by the way. Somebody else so, was driving? Yeah. Somebody else was driving, and she got into another car, and they took off. And that's when you heard Casey Kasem is missing. Ooh, right? Geez. Yeah. So, yeah. So... It, it it went you know from there. Uh, so you go right from you that. go from one of the most joyous emotional moments, and then the next hours later to this crap again, like yeah. this horror story she's, again. Yeah. She's hiding him again, mm -hmm. and we immediately got immediately won uh, because of a of a letter my dad's doctor wrote saying what Gene did, and I'm paraphrasing, would kill him or give irreparably harm him. Yeah, and uh, and we took that to the judge. The judge agreed, gave me um, guardianship slash conservatorship over... Sorry, somebody's calling me, so I hope you don't hear that beeping. Oh, it's okay. Uh, hold on, I'm going to send it. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, so so we I immediately won the guardianship over my father, and um, Adult Protective Services was ordered to work with us and the police to find my dad. And um, we, you know, found out that she had hid him in Los Angeles until she figured that she wanted to take him to Las Vegas. She took my father to Las Vegas. She didn't. She didn't. You know, people, caretakers took him to Las Vegas thinking there was going to be the world-renowned doctor and hospital there that was going to take care of him. They ended up going to a hotel, sticking him in a hotel room. He had blood in his catheter. He had, uh, his back was opening up. He was moaning in pain. He's sick as a dog. There's no doctor. There's no nurse. There's nothing that they have met. You know, like they're not meeting anybody there. He's not on a proper mattress. Mm -hmm. um, and the two caretakers uh, were so terrified that they left and got lawyers. And then she decides, okay, well, this isn't going to work out so well. Let's take him to Washington State, where there are people there that I knew in the 60s in Guam. They'll hide him in their house. And that's exactly what happened. They hid him. They hid my dad. Uh, she, The first time she transported him properly with an air ambulance, she put my dad in this air ambulance. They took him to Washington State, tried to get him on a uh, Indian reservation. That didn't work out too well. So... She uh, she gets an ambulance driver to take my dad to this house in Silverdale, uh, it's a tiny little town in Washington. 
And the ambulance driver was so upset that they weren't taking my dad to a hospital or see a doctor that he called Adult Protective Services um, himself. And that's how we found my dad when she had hit him in Washington. How many? How much longer did he live from that point on? Well, he, I won in court and I went to, when we found him in Washington, I flew up there immediately with the court orders in hand. And guess what? Your court order that was made in California is not... Um, it, it's, it's, it, you have no, um, legal recourse in other States. So it was not recognized. Oh, geez. So I had to start to fight over it all over again. And at this point it took me two weeks. So this is uh, three weeks, you know, that my dad has been hidden. He's traveling around the country. He's sick as a dog. He's not getting correct medical care. Yeah. And I'm fighting in court to take my dad to a hospital, just a hospital. And I get him after two weeks to a hospital and you know, if this had happened to a baby, let's say there was a preemie baby and a mom just decided, you know what? I want to go home, reaches into the incubator and takes the preemie baby. And a few weeks later, the baby's dead. Mm -hmm. Well, that woman would be, you know, there would be charges filed against her for um, abuse, mm -hmm. child abuse and murder. Right. When you do that to somebody who's elderly, you take them out of their incubator, you unhook their feeding tube and their IVs, and they're dead a few weeks later, you know, they were old, doesn't matter. That's how the elderly is treated in this country. The DA did nothing, even though the man who put the entire case together, Detective Hodges, said, if this isn't a case of elder abuse, I don't know what is. Nothing was done for my dad being murdered, nothing. But when I got him to the hospital, he had bed sores, he had a lung infection. Um, you know, some people say sepsis, some, I mean, some doctors know say sepsis, he was septic. He was so sick, we did everything to save his life. You know, we were turning him every few hours to help with the bed sore. Um, we, you know, tons of, of uh, antibiotics. I called my sister, my brother Fulin from Singapore, his brother from Michigan, my aunt, and, um, one of his best friends, everybody was at the hospital around my father at this time. But who was missing? Jean and her daughter, Liberty, who were had the same court order to be there as we did. Same court order. But what did Jean say to the press? We are not allowing her in the room. But we have all, we have video evidence of me saying, Jean, Liberty, please, Dad may not make it. Please come to the hospital. Please come to the hospital. We have emails to their lawyer. Please tell Jean and Liberty to come. Please. Is Liberty, your, ha is Liberty your half-sister? Half-sister, mm -hmm. yeah. And so what did they do? They went and they flew back to Los Angeles. And Jean was with her boyfriend. And she's shouting on the court steps. Um, you know, they have blood on their hands. They're killing my husband for insurance money. And oh, this geez. is what we heard, that we're, we are unplugging my dad to get money. This is as we're fighting to save his life, as we're up there doing everything we can. And, you know, having this horrible traumatic situation that my dad is dying. You know, I, I, I it was, it was just one of the worst times of my life. And I remember the doctors coming, there were three of them that, that were taking care of my dad. And each and every one of them said it's futile. His organs are shutting down. His feeding tube is backing up. Any liquids you give him are filling up his lungs and he's drowning to death. And oh, I was the fighter. I was the one that was like, there's no way he's going to live. He's going to make it. And my sister at that point took over and said, Carrie, when somebody's dying, they're not hungry. They're not thirsty. It's like an animal. When you give, you know, a dog's dying, you give them water and food. They don't eat. They're yeah. not hungry. You're not starving him. And, you know, at that point we said, you know, 
let's just put him on comfort measures and give him what he needs to, to be comfortable. And we told him, dad's not going to make it. Did they show up? No. No. That's terrible. That's absolutely no, it terrible. Was this is like what you would see in a movie, not like real life. This is uh, is your mission with this whole thing, and maybe it's multi-purpose. But it, it, my what I'm thinking is, is your mission to make the uh, punishment for these abuses make it more criminally punishable, or and or is it to maybe even lower the standard on what would be considered, you know, negligent or uh, reckless behavior when, when it comes to taking care of an elder? I guess all of those things in time, you know, we want, we, um, when you deal with the probate family courts, which our bill is in now, you have to go state to state. But if you go criminally, then you can go federally and you can make a bigger bill for the entire country. And that's what we're in the process of doing now. Okay. Um, so yeah, so it would be all of those things. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about, about this is my dad, after our, our names are dragged through the mud, after every lie she told to the press, after everything, you know, to make us sound like we were terrible children. Um, and I think people saw the truth. I think most people did. I, we, we were supported in the press. We were supported um, on social media. I had so many wonderful letters and people saying, please help me. And that's why I created Case and Cares. In the middle of this fighting for my dad, I created a foundation and a bill that could help other people going through this. So I'm up in Sacramento and I'm testifying in front of the Senate. I'm testifying, you know, in front of the um the, the lower house and I'm trying to get a bill passed because I thought if the, the court system is not going to help me, I'm going to change the law. And so during this whole thing, trying to get, you know, trying to pay my bills, trying to work, trying to see my dad, trying to go to every court date, I'm flying back and forth to Sacramento trying to get a bill passed. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that was my, that, that whole 2013, 2014. Wow. But when my dad died, my dad died. He died on June 15, 2014. And that year, that was Father's Day. He died on Father's Day. That's now, un unbelievable. If yeah. you believe in signs, yeah. I believe in signs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But about a month later, after his death, I look up June 15th, and I stop cold in my tracks. June 15th, 10 years ago, is when the United Nations um, created World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. Wow. Now that, that is absolutely, <laughs> that's powerful. Wow. Yeah. And that's not a coincidence. Yeah. That is no. clearly not a coincidence. No, I, I believe my dad was saying, keep going, keep doing this. Carrie, yeah. uh, anyone that's listening that is going through the same horrors that you guys had to go through, what, what, what's the advice you'd give to them? Well, once you're in it, that's the harder place to be, mm -hmm. you know, but please, if you see signs, if you see any signs like dad or mom can't come to the phone, oh, they're too tired. They're not getting your messages. You know, they're being blocked from seeing other people and other friends. You don't know about their medical history anymore. Those flags are the first signs of isolation. And when you isolate somebody, that is the first step to any kind of abuse, whether it's elder abuse, sexual abuse, financial abuse, child abuse. You know, domestic violence. You isolate the individual. So what, if you start to see those signs, please take them seriously. And please get to your mom or dad immediately with a, um, a recording device. And if maybe it's just a friend that you see this. You know, please get to them with a recording device and a newspaper. Hold up the newspaper. And, you know, have mom or dad say, if anybody in my care keeps me from my children or my family and friends, and name the people you want to see, then they should be removed from my care immediately immediately get that on tape 
get that immediately on tape. If somebody is vilifying my children and somebody's saying, well, these kids aren't good, remove them from my care immediately. You know, um, if you can do it with an attorney, great. That gives you more power, but sometimes you can't, you can't, the, the um, isolator, the abuser doesn't allow you in for very long or doesn't allow you to take mom or dad anywhere. And mm -hmm. it can be another parent. It could be their spouse. Yeah. You know, yeah. it could be another sibling. Mm -hmm. We see that all the time. That's great advice. Yeah. It's That's very great. important. Very important. Because once you're in it, if you're in it right now, you can't see mom or dad, go to kasemcares.org. That's K-A-S, like Sam, E-M. Org, and I'm sure you'll, you can put this up, um, but caseandcares.org, we have a hotline there. Uh, we have people answering it that have been through this, that can give advice. Um, and we have the bill up there. We have the bill in different states. We have the residence bill of rights up there that you can use if mom or dad are in a hospital or a, um, um, or a nursing home. You can use this bill of rights to see them. So, yeah, there's a lot of information up on that site. That's beautiful. We will absolutely link everything up uh, in the show notes here. And uh, listen, what you've gone through is gut-wrenching. And uh, when I look at you as radio and TV host, activist, speaker, podcaster, all these things you're doing, uh, one other thing that you have to add to your resume is is pure resilient. Oh, and thank you. uh what you've thank been, what you. you've done is is you fought and you don't take no for an answer there's a lot of lessons that I think people will be able to walk away with listening to this uh so many different things and like you said we could probably go for like a half day talking about oh, this stuff you know absolutely. <laughs> I feel absolutely. I have a feeling I have a feeling you, you you've done this uh quite a few times so um social media yeah. But one other thing I want to mention too is that um I've been for the last few years teaching uh, human rights and, uh, you know, my dad's human rights were violated. These are basic human rights. And it's the 70th year of the Declaration, uh, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And it's the 70th year. And people need to start knowing their rights. And mm -hmm. if they want a free packet that gives, like, simple, the 30 human rights and DVDs, it gives you a one minute on each human right. And it's for kids and it's for adults alike. Go to youth. Humanrights.org and ask for your free educators kit. If you're an educator, if you're a teacher, maybe it's you. You're in the military. Uh, there's a lot of people from different churches that use this material and teach and teach human rights. Um, so it's incredible. It's YouthForHumanRights.org and they will give you everything for free, all the material for free. Know your human rights because once you do, you can change the world. You can change your community. You can change the state. Um, and it really is a powerful tool. So I, I definitely want to want to tell people they can get that free material. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, please keep me posted, if you would, on what goes on here in Ohio. Uh, you got it. You I am got clearly it. You want to come down? Yeah. yeah let me know. If you're coming to Cleveland, for sure. I'm, if you're coming to Cleveland, please let me know. Oh, I will. I mean, you, should, you can be part of the team. Come testify. You know that this bill is necessary and that, you know, there should be legal recourse for kids and um, friends to see an ailing adult or an elderly one. Oh, you know, absolutely. Very important. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we yeah. have a lot of we have a lot of uh, people in this, this Midwest side of the country. There's a lot of people that do care. So like you've seen yeah. in Ohio, there's a yeah. lot of good people out there that, that care. Um, like I said, tremendously resilient. What your family's gone through is uh, a ton. And I give you all the respect in the world. And uh, let's stay in touch. You got it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Carrie. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay.